The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister. Jeremy Corbyn. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will first wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the families and friends of Warrant Officer 2nd Class Dan Shirley of 13th Air Assault Support Regiment Royal Logistics Corps and Lance Corporal James Johnson of 5th Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Scotland, who have given their lives in Afghanistan in the past week. We owe them and all those who have served an immense debt of gratitude. Mr. Speaker, Afghanistan is the front line against the Taliban. Forty nations under a UN mandate are contributing over 50,000 troops. Over six million children are now in school. There has been a 25% fall in infant mortality. We will not set an artificial timetable. But as the capability of the Afghan National Security Forces improve, Afghan forces will take over more and more responsibility for their own affairs. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join with the Prime Minister in expressing condolences to the families of those soldiers who perished recently and the more than 100 others that have died during the British presence in Afghanistan. Is he also aware that over 2,000 Afghan people have died during this year alone and that this year the war will cost the British taxpayer £1.6 billion? Does he not think there's a need for a re-examination of our strategy in Afghanistan? We've been there seven years. The poppy crop is at record levels. Would it not be better to start buying the poppy crop so it can be used for medicinal purposes, not for the drug trade, in order to undermine the basis of the instability there and set a timetable for a political dialogue that ensures we can withdraw British troops as soon as possible? Mr Speaker, the responsibility for the violence and the death lies with the Taliban and their supporters. And we have, over these last few years, trained up 58,000 soldiers in the Afghan army. The police are now training uh, 80,000 Afghan local police. And as their capability improves, then we will not only allow Afghan forces to take more control over their own country, but local and national government will also be more secure, and the economic and social development programs we are engaged in will happen too. We have, half the number of, uh, uh, poppy, we have doubled the number of poppy-free provinces in the last uh, period of time. We are continuing to fight the war against heroin as well. But I assure him that the reason that we are in Afghanistan is to stop the Taliban taking over there, to stop al-Qaeda coming back in that country, and therefore to remove the threat that is a threat not just to the Afghan people, but a threat to the whole of Europe, including our own country. I join the Prime Minister in the expressions of condolences and endorse all the comments he's made as to why British troops must remain in Afghanistan for the foreseeable future. On Monday, I attended the funeral in my constituency of Lance Corporal James Bateman. He did not die in vain, nor did any of the other seven members of 16 Air Assault Brigade who have also lost their lives in Helmand Province over the last month. The Prime Minister has referred to the 43 nations who are in <coughs> Afghanistan. Would he confirm, however, that the number of European NATO countries in southern Afghanistan can be counted on the fingers of one hand? Yeah. And isn't it time our European allies did more to send their troops to the front line and not rely on Britain to take the brunt? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I do join him in paying tribute to his constituent who died, and he died, as he has said, serving the country in what is a noble cause. And as for progress being made in Afghanistan, I can only report 
what Sir Jock Stirrup, the Chief of the Defence Staff, has said only this morning. He said the progress we've made over the last few months is remarkable. And he talked about being in Helmand Promise, said the last time I was here, I wasn't able to come into the town at all. It was a full-scale battlefield. Now we've just come twice through the main street, a sign that things are improving as a result of the presence of the British troops. I too agree with him that every country who has signed up to the coalition forces should make a contribution, and in some cases, a bigger contribution than they're making at the moment. We have asked for the supply of forces and the supply of equipment. He knows that the French have agreed to put extra forces in Afghanistan, and these will allow the American Marines to move south into Helmand province. At the same time, the Germans are offering support with their policing, and that will allow us to increase uh, dramatically the number of police in Afghanistan who are being trained. As far as helicopters are concerned, we've asked all European countries with helicopters to make them available for the difficult terrain in Afghanistan. But I agree with them. As we said at the NATO meeting in Bucharest, all countries who have signed up to this venture should make their fullest possible contribution. Chris Bryant. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I, I will have meetings with ministers later today. Robert Mugabe is a corrupt and brutal thug who just goes to prove that you can put your hand on the Bible and swear an oath and smile and smile and still be a complete and utter villain. Isn't it the case, however, that the United Nations has been far too slow and reluctant to adopt a robust attitude to Mugabe? Isn't it time that it was pointed out very clearly to him that he is no more the fairly elected president of Zimbabwe than Pinochet was of Chile? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I I've talked to the Secretary-General of the United Nations uh, only this, uh, this morning about what I believe are the responsibilities of the United Nations in this area. Given that the only credible election that has taken place was the election in which the MDC actually recorded a victory, and given that the second round was a travesty at the hands of what is a blood-stained regime, I'm pleased that yesterday the African Union called for an end to violence, set up a system of mediation, and were talking about a transitional government in Zimbabwe. Having talked to the UN Secretary-General this morning, I think it's right that the UN send an envoy to Zimbabwe. In the absence of real change, we will step up our sanctions and ask other countries to do so. We will press for tough action on Zimbabwe at the Security Council later today. We will do so at the G8 in coming days. There will not be support for reconstruction in Zimbabwe until democracy is restored. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I agree with every word the Prime Minister has just said about Zimbabwe. The clearest possible message should go out that we do not recognise the illegitimate presidency of Robert Mugabe. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Lance Corporal James Johnson and Warrant Officer Second Class Dan Shirley, who were killed in Afghanistan? Their fight in Afghanistan is not just about the stability of that country, but, as the Prime Minister has said, about keeping our streets safe here in Britain. Will the Prime Minister confirm what he said on the 42 days vote, that no deals were made, no jobs were offered, and no rewards were promised? Yes. I'm grateful for that very short and very clear answer, so perhaps he can explain this. This morning, a letter has been published by the Daily Telegraph from the Labour Chief Whip from the Labour Chief Whip to the Right Honourable Member for Leicester East. And the letter says this. Thank you for all of your help during the period leading up to last Wednesday's votes. I wanted you to know how much I appreciated all of your help 
I trust that it will be appropriately rewarded. Can the Prime Minister, can the Prime Minister tell us what the Chief Whip meant by appropriately rewarded? That we, we thank the Chairman of the Home Affairs Committee for doing exactly the right thing, for voting in the spirit of the report of the Home Affairs Committee and voting with the Government. And as for the Ulster Unionist and the Democratic Unionist Party, as for the allegations being made about that, I think he should listen to what they say about terrorism. They know more about it than almost any people in this House. Haven't we once again seen the Prime Minister's utter inability to be straight with people? Why can't he give a straight answer to a straight question? The Chief Whip. The Chief Whip. Order. Order. Leader of the Opposition. The Chief Whip. The Chief Whip, who should be wriggling with embarrassment, he wrote to the Chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee, that is his job, and said, I trust you will be appropriately rewarded. So let me ask him again. Don't take people for fools. Tell us the truth. What did he mean? He meant that he was thanking the Chairman of the Home Affairs Committee for doing exactly the right thing. And if he has any allegation to make, if he has any allegation to make, Prime Minister, Tom Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend uh, congratulate the people of New Mills in my constituency, who have got the first community-owned 80-megawatt hydroelectric power station up and running later this month in uh, New Mills? Will he therefore? Look at the support that the government gives for small-scale community power stations and encourage green energy on a community level. I'm grateful, Tim, and we support the hydroelectric power station that has been uh, created in his constituency. You'll have seen last week the paper that was produced on renewables. That paper on renewables showed that we had to increase our contribution to 15%. That will be done by wind, wave power. It will also be done by solar power, but it will be done also by hydroelectric power. Nick Clegg. Mr Speaker, I'd like to add my own, my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Lance Corporal James Johnson and Warrant Officer Dan Shirley, who tragically lost their lives in Afghanistan this week. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has this week published yet another government review of the National Health Service. But what does this say about him and his government that after 11 years, one in a quarter of all British people now face mental health problems, Every single day, more than 1,700 children are prescribed antidepressant drugs, and millions, millions of mental health patients, some of the most vulnerable people in the NHS, are still having to wait for three years to get help. Would you agree with me that we now have a two-tier health system in which millions of mental health patients are being left behind? Mr Speaker, let let me just say we've increased spending on mental health by 31% in real terms in the last 10 years. There are now 60 percent more consultant psychiatrists in the National Health Service working, and there are 20 percent more mental health nurses. Now that is only possible because of the investment that we have made in the National Health Service, which is far beyond what any of the other parties offered or promised at any election. And that is why there are 80,000 more nurses. That is why we're doing a million more operations, and that is why today this party, and I believe the whole House should be proud of 60 years of success of the National Health Service. I am proud it was a Labour government that created. I hope it will have the support of all parties in this House. 
He's doing it again. He's confusing a list, a list with an answer. He's confusing a review with action. There is a mental health crisis in this country today. Even the new president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists himself said this week that our mental health wards are, I quote, unacceptable, uninhabitable and dangerous. There's no excuse for the Prime Minister's complacency. He once again relies on a promise made in a review, but when will he act to introduce a maximum waiting time and equal rights for all mental health patients? Mr Speaker, I I think he forgets that one of the purposes of our policy is that less people are in hospital and more care is done in the community. But I can tell him that real investment in adult mental health places has increased by $1.2 billion. We've spent over $5.1 billion on adult mental health services last year compared to only $3 billion in 2001. And capital spending on mental health hospitals and hospital accommodation has been rising. And yes, we want to do more, but we can only do more if we invest more in the National Health Service as a whole. That is our commitment. It's not clear it's the commitment of all parties in this House. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, My attention has been drawn to an NHS leaflet which sets out bold plans to launch GP-led health centres where many services can be located under one roof as well as as other services such as diagnostics without destroying the GP-patient relationship. Given that this leaflet was actually uh, distributed in 1948 at the launch of the NHS, will my right honourable friend reaffirm his commitment to this founding principle of the NHS, unlike the party opposite who opposed these these proposals in 1948 and continue to do so now? Mr Speaker, there are 5,000 more general practitioners than there were in 1997. More and more general practitioners are able to do the diagnostic and other services uh, in their own practices, and that will continue with more power to the GPs in the years to come. I think she'll also be pleased to know that last year at this time there were less than 2,000 matrons in the National Health Service. Today we can report that there are 5,500, more than a doubling of matrons, and matrons have greater control over the cleanliness of hospitals now. So we are giving matrons, nurses and GPs more power in the National Health Service. Uh, and while the, the opposition uh, uh, smirk at this, the fact of the matter is we voted for the National Health Service. They opposed it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A year ago, I asked the Prime Minister why, under his new early release from prison scheme, dangerous criminals are being let out early against the express advice of probation officers. The Prime Minister promised me that it would be looked into, but it is still going on. One person released early under this scheme returned home and stabbed his girlfriend. He said, I cannot believe they have let me out. I told them I would do it. Why hasn't the Prime Minister stopped this from happening? Mr Mr. Speaker, uh, less less than 1% of prisoners who have been released uh, within 18 days of the due date of the release uh, have been guilty of any further crimes. Uh, And so it is bad when any instance happens, but he has to accept that it is a very low proportion of those that have been released. We have also also instructed uh, prisons that they should now ensure that the police are notified in response to any information that they receive that a prisoner poses a risk of domestic violence. So since since the incident that he is talking about, we have have stepped up our checks. 
and these will continue to ensure that people are not released if they pose a risk of domestic violence. Come on. But I warned the Prime Minister about this a year ago. And the fact is, nothing was done. The head of the probation officer said on the radio, well, we brought it up last year, and as far as I can see, they've done nothing. Doesn't the Prime Minister realise how serious this is? Probation officers said this week there are at least 29 cases, and in every one, probation staff took the view the men weren't suitable for release. On the issue of domestic violence, which he raises, in eight cases, men convicted of domestic violence who were released early went back and beat up their wives or their partners. How could this possibly be allowed to happen a year after the Prime Minister said he would stop it? Mr Speaker, I've just explained how we've stepped up the checks in response to the National Association of Probation Officers. And I have to say to him that we are increasing the number of prison places They've increased from 60,000 to 80,000 during the period of this government. They're going up to over 82,000 this year and will rise again to 86,000. So the idea that we are not taking action to deal with the bigger problem, and that is the provision of prison places, uh, is wrong. We are taking the action that is necessary. And I have to remind them, during the last 10 years, there are 16,000 more police on the street. We have more community support officers. And at the same time, crime is down by 30%. And it would have helped, Mr Speaker, if the opposition had voted for some of our measures. The, the opposition voted against our measures on gun crime to five years for holding a gun. They voted against our measures on DNA. They voted against measures on antisocial behaviour in the period that he was trying to hug hoodies. No one will ever forget that he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer who didn't build the prisons that has landed in his mess. It's absolutely no consolation to the people who are the victims of domestic violence that he reads out this list of completely irrelevant figures. And he says that they are stepping up the checks, but will he confirm there are no proper accommodation checks about where these people are going back to? There are no proper risk assessments. Isn't it the case that under his new early release scheme, people are released even though the probation officers don't know where they're going, haven't assessed them for risk, and they end up committing further crimes? A year ago, he told me in this House he would act. Surely people will conclude he's failed in his basic duty, which is keeping people safe. He is quite wrong. We increased the number of prison places over the last 10 years from 60,000 to 80,000. And that was a decision we made because we ran an economy that could deliver the resources to build the prison places. As, 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 for, his, uh, as for his questions about individual prisoners being released, any prisoner serving over 12 months who is released is subject to probation. As far as concerns about domestic violence are concerned, I have already told him that prisons have been instructed that they should now ensure that the police are notified in response to any information they receive about a prisoner who may pose a risk of domestic violence. So we have stepped up our checks, but he hasn't answered the point I made. We have acted against antisocial behaviour. We have acted against domestic violence. We have acted against, uh, uh, so that evidence through DNA can be constructed. We have brought in CCTV. Most of these proposals have been opposed by the opposition. They talk tough on law and order and act soft. They talk tough on terrorism and act soft. They talk tough. They talk tough about the planning laws and last week voted against them. On all the major issues where difficult long-term decisions are made, they duck the big issues. Simpson. Everyone.
everyone in Britain is affected by rising energy prices, but none more so than the four million households living in fuel poverty. In the scheduled 2% increase in fuel duties due to come in this October, the government will receive in excess of a billion pounds of tax revenue. Rather than offering this as a sweetener by cancelling it to, in favour of, of uh, lorry drivers, would the Prime Minister commit that billion pounds to meeting the 2010 targets of taking all vulnerable households out of fuel poverty? Yeah. Speaker, we are uh, committed to helping those in fuel poverty. That's why we've raised the winter allowance. That's why three million households are benefiting from insulation schemes. That's why we've signed agreements with the utility companies to give more money to the lowest income households so that their fuel bills can be reduced. And we will step up our insulation programme, our draft proofing programme, and our programme for greater fuel efficiency in homes in the next uh, few months. But I have to caution against the idea that if you have a, a downturn, uh, and if oil prices go up, then all the benefits go to the Treasury. What actually happens is that people spend less, so there's VAT receipts are less, less people are earning, so income tax receipts are less, and less profits are made by most companies, and therefore profits tax is less. So he has to take into account that during the period of a world downturn, revenues are not up, revenues are down. Stephen Crabb. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. What's, yeah. Yeah. What's worse, coming behind the BNP in Henley or to come behind the SNP in Glasgow East? Will the Prime Minister make the trip up to Glasgow to try to stop that happening? Yeah. Well, well, Mr. Speaker, he's got the chance to ask about any issue, particularly, partic particularly this morning. One might have thought the Conservative Party, if not on the front bench, but from the back benches, would have acknowledged the 60 years of the NHS. And, he's, and once again, they've resorted to trivia when they could ask sensible and serious questions. Thank you, Thank you Mr. Speaker. With the attack in Jerusalem and the reported violence on the Egyptian border today, um, peace is vital uh, for the Middle East, not only for that region, but also for the world. And can my right honourable friend take this opportunity to tell the House what more he can do to make sure that extremism does not derail uh, a long-term plan of peace in the region? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm grateful to my honourable friend who takes a very... ...big interest in matters in the Middle East. I, I'm sorry to hear of reports today of yet another terrorist incident in, in Jerusalem, uh, and I hope we will hear reports that the casualties are, are minimal. Uh, to help bring about more general peace in the Middle East, we have been considering what we can do, and we've today laid an order extending prescription to cover Hezbollah's entire military wing on the sole grounds of new evidence of its involvement in terrorism in Iraq and in the occupied Palestinian territories. Prescription will not affect Hezbollah's legitimate political and social wings, but we continue to call on Hezbollah to end its status as an armed group and to participate in the Lebanese democratic process and to do so on the same terms as other political parties. Ian Duncan Smith. Speaker, <clears throat> in answer to his honourable friend, the member for Rhonda, the Prime Minister seemed to welcome the outcome of the African Union concerning Zimbabwe. Surely a real reading of this is that it was a complete and utter sham. Yeah, yeah. And the reality now is President Mbeki's hand is now being seen in all of this, and his determination is surely to maintain President Mugabe in his role, and to do that, they are now going to bully the MDC, try and divide them and force them to form some sort of ludicrous union government with President Mugabe. Surely the government 
should get all of the Western governments to say categorically to President Mugeki, it is time now for you to get rid of this man, and if you don't, then trade and aid will come under review to South Africa. It is indeed time. It is indeed time for Mugabe to step down, and he has blood on his hands for what has happened during the election campaign where so many people died and where so many people were displaced. But I think he should read into the African Union summit and their decisions, which I have before me, something more positive than he is suggesting. The summit itself concludes that they are deeply concerned by the negative reports of SADC, and that is the election observers, and concerned about the loss of life and want to avoid further worsening of violence, they've, they've, they've reported that they will have an envoy and mediation in Zimbabwe. The aim is to involve the MDC in the government. I have asked the Secretary-General that the UN themselves send an envoy to Harare. I think it's important to recognise that the African Union did make a step forward yesterday, but there is a lot more to do, and we should support the United Nations in its efforts through the Secretary-General to achieve mediation that could bring about a transition to a democratically elected government in Zimbabwe. Uh, following my 10-minute rule bill, can I congratulate this government in taking action to ensure that over 90% of domestic internet service providers block child abuse images? Is he aware, however, that there are concerns that similar blocks must apply to central and local government and to prisons? Will he agree to meet with me and children's charities to ensure that all our children will be protected from this appalling abuse? Yeah. He's been a very vigorous campaigner on the behalf of uh, safety for children in using the internet, and it was in no small measure due to her um, efforts and proposals that we set up the review of internet security that was led by Dr. Tanya Byron. That review has proposed that, that there is far greater checks uh, on the internet to ensure security. She is right that we should be aware of what's happening in prison and in local and national government, as well as taking other measures. I will be very happy to meet her. We are setting up the Internet Security Council in the next uh, few weeks, and I look forward to meeting her and the children's charity she talks about. Angus Robertson. I'm sure the whole House wishes David Marshall a speedy recovery. The 1975 Recess Election Act allows for parliamentary by-elections to take place when Parliament is not in session. Why then has the Labour government moved for the quickest possible timetable for a by-election in Glasgow East corresponding with the Glasgow Fair? Isn't it simply down to the fact that the Prime Minister is scared of a bloody nose from the SNP? Yeah? Speaker, I'm sure he would be complaining if we'd waited to have the by-election. It, it, right, it is right that the constituents uh, of, the, uh, of this area of Glasgow have a new MP as soon as possible. Mohamed Sarwa. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, may be aware of my early day motion condemning Scottish executive decision to slash funding for the Glasgow Science Centre from 1.7 million to 1.08 million which threatens its future financial viability. Glasgow Science Centre is a unique facility which attracts thousands of visitors and has been awarded five-star status by Visit Scotland. Does he share the anger of my constituents and people of Scotland who use this unique facility and call upon Scottish executive to reverse this 
short-sighted decision. Mr Speaker, he's, he's absolutely right, and he's, he's asking on this equation a, a question about what affects the Glasgow people, and that is a 40% cut in science funding to the Glasgow Science Centre as a result of a decision of the SNP administration. We have doubled science expenditure in this country. We are encouraging young people to visit science centres. It's unfortunate in Glasgow that as a result of the SNP, funding has been cut, and they will live to regret that. Peter Tapsell, are, are we to understand that the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman's bleak message to the country is that for many years to come, at Prime Minister's questions, he and his successors will be paying mournful tribute to the gallant men and women who in the previous week have been killed in Afghanistan, fighting an unwinnable and deeply unpopular war, when it is widely understood that the Taliban are not international terrorists, who are now mostly not international terrorists, who are, and the international terrorists are now mostly trained in Pakistan, Iraq and Britain. I would uh, invite uh, the Honourable Gentleman to join uh, the Defence Secretary in a visit to Afghanistan to see for himself. As a result of what has happened, the Taliban have been removed from power. 40, for, 40, 40 nations are contributing 50,000 troops. And as a result of what we have done, there were no girls in education in Afghanistan at all. Now there are two million in education, and I would hope he would take up the invitation. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the, in the presence of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the legendary Pele on the 12th of July Britannia Stadium, there will be a celebration of goalkeeper Gordon Banks and his achievements. Yeah. Will my right honourable friend join me in paying a tribute to the achievements of not only a great goalkeeper, perhaps the best in the world, but a decent man? Well, Mr Speaker, I, I should also congratulate his club Stoke City on achieving promotion to the Premier League. I'm looking forward to meeting uh, Gordon Banks. He was capped 73 times for England and it's absolutely right that we unveil a statue to him at the Britannia Stadium in Stoke. On ten-minute rule motion, honourable members, leave the chamber quietly. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's the Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk/audio.